This week on the Ready to Teach podcast, we have a very special guest, Dr. Rich Milner from the University of Pittsburgh. Dr. Milner holds the Helen Faison Endowed Chair of Urban Education, is a professor of education, and is the director of the Center for Urban Education at the University of Pittsburgh. He is also the author of five books, the newest of which is entitled Racing to Class, Confronting Poverty and Race in Schools and Classrooms. It is a huge honor to have Dr. Milner on the show. He took time out of his Saturday morning to get into the complexities of addressing issues of race and other differences in the classroom. We also get into the nitty-gritty of what teachers can actually do to put these issues at the center of our teaching. Hear what he has to say after the intro. Teachers have a tough job. They face so many obstacles from students, parents, colleagues, administrators, from themselves. And yet, teachers find so many ways to craft beautiful, transformative relationships that lead to learning, inspiration, and joy. This is the Ready to Teach podcast, and unlike most of the decisions being made in schools, this podcast is made for teachers by teachers. Let's get ready to teach. According to your bio on the University of Pittsburgh website, your interests are in the fields of, quote, urban education, teacher education, African-American literature, and the social context of education. As a teacher of people who will hopefully put your ideas into practice in classrooms and schools one day, how do you hope to influence future teachers in in the work that you do? I'm really hopeful that uh, teachers will, first of all, reflect about their own identity spaces, that is, who they are as individuals, who they are as uh, people with varying uh, various belief systems and so forth, and how that, how those identities will influence what happens inside of the classroom. So in other words, teachers have a, they play a huge role in the kinds of learning opportunities students have. So I'm really hopeful that teachers will uh, really engage in their own biographies, their own history, their own worldview, and to really get a sense of those uh, areas of, of, of uh, understanding in terms of how they work and develop instructional practice. What are some of the ways that teachers can self-reflect on their own biographies and the way that race has played out in their own lives? Well, I think one of the things that's important is that uh, teachers are are, are mindful that uh, each of us learns or they will be continuing to learn throughout their their professional careers. So in other words, uh, once a teacher graduates from a teacher education program or, uh, or uh, has been in the profession for many years, we're, we're consi- we, we are consistently, we should be consistently reflecting on uh, our own experiences, things that have happened to us in the past. Uh, you know, what I've come to understand, Jonathan, is a lot of 
doing, uh, what I'm doing. Why am I making me a particular move I'm making? Why do I believe particular groups of students are underprepared in comparison to other groups of students? Those are the things that I think are, are very important uh, for teachers uh, to really consider in the grand complexity of the work. So it sounds like, from, from what you're saying, and actually I just recently received a copy of your new book, Race, Racing to Class. I was uh, checking it out, flipping it through before we were talking here. When, whenever a, an individual or, or even a community confronts those you know, deeply ingrained beliefs and systems like you're talking about, uh, it seems really hard and the change comes really slow. Can you talk about what it's like to, I guess, get that process, get that process started and what teachers can do in their schools or, or communities? So one, one of the things that I've found uh, in, in raising class uh, in terms of working with teachers in particular, and especially as uh, they develop uh, knowledge-based belief systems and, and consequences practices that inform their work with, with students who are often underserved is that they develop a community of, of critical colleagues, critical scholars to help them think through uh, decisions they're making to help them understand complexities in which they're working. Uh, what, what, what happens too often in schools is that teachers are expected to go into classrooms shut their doors uh, and figure their practice out uh, on their own. But what we know from good science is that we learn from, and there's, there's value in learning with colleagues, some of whom have experience with you've experienced, others uh, who may uh, have a deeper knowledge or understanding of the racial and ethnic sort of community in which you're working. So I think that's important. And I think so I think developing a strong uh, a community of, of, of colleagues to work with is important. I think but what's probably more important is really developing strong community uh, family connections is also essential for for teachers. So, uh, you know, uh, families, parents, uh, guardians, guardians of the siblings of the students with whom teachers are working are the experts of their experience. And so when teachers are able to deeply uh, develop strong partnerships with communities, they're able to to gain and, and, and garner and cultivate instructional practices that allow them to connect the content, that is, what they're supposed to be teaching, the curriculum to a student's experience. And so, so what tends to happen in schools is uh, teachers are overwhelmed, white, middle class, uh, the teaching population tends to be female, and, uh, and, and those identity characteristics manifest and they play out uh, in the classroom, and so it's very important for teachers to, to recognize those gender spaces, those sex spaces, those race spaces, those uh, 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 socioeconomic spaces, and how those areas might align with or disalign with or, or might be inconsistent with, I guess is a better way of saying, the ways in which students experience life. So developing deep partnerships 
what do you see as some other barriers to why teachers in schools may not engage with their families and, and communities as much as they should? Well, the first thing I would say is that I think uh, in order to engage with the, with the community, teachers have to value and, and understand the, the deep levels of, of expertise, asset strength that every community uh, possesses. And so uh, if I as a teacher believe I am superior to or that I am the, the, the arbiter of knowledge, that I'm the individual who holds the knowledge or who understands how students learn or who understands what communities are and should be. And that, that, that frame of reference is going to deeply uh, shape how I choose to engage uh, the community. So one, one barrier is to, to that building those connections is understanding that while teachers have value, while teachers are going and so forth, so are communities. And so there's genius in every community. Uh, and, and so recognizing that, and I, and I try to unpack this in racist class, but recognizing that if that parent values their children's education, right, they may not, they may not show up and, and that value may not manifest in the way that the teacher believes it should manifest. But I have, I have, I'm yet to meet a parent or yet to meet a family member who would say, I don't value education for my child. Or I'm yet to meet a, a, a parent or family member who would say, I don't want my child to excel uh, in learning and, and development. But what we've done in education is we have, in, in many ways, we have developed this, this system where we believe that certain groups of students are inadequate, certain groups of students are, are, are it, it is not possible for them to be uh, successful. And so with that frame of reference, it makes it almost impossible to realize, reach, and build on those many It seems to me like that the problem that you're describing is uh, very much a, a compounding factor on what you were talking about before, which is the the, the differences between teachers and their and their populations. Because if you think that you, even with the best intention that you're there to to help your students and and you have the answers and their families or their communities don't have the answers then not only do you have that barrier communication from being inherently different, but you're also not, it's preventing you, that mindset is preventing you from doing any work that would further connect you with that community. Exactly. I, I think uh, what, I, what I've come to understand in studying teachers in varying communities is that there can be a barrier and it's it, it, you know, this dissonance between the community and, and, and teachers is uh, can, can actually be more complex when we don't 
from which teachers can learn and draw from. But there's also a strong history. There's also a, a strong historical background that leads teachers to particular kinds of uh, and, and, and communities to particular kinds of situations. And so if teachers are only looking at the realities of what's happening with students currently, and they don't understand the sort of history and background of how, let's say, for instance, gentrification has, uh, has taken place in a particular community, or, you know, the ways in which jobs have been pushed out of particular communities, or the ways in which white flight has manifested to perpetuate the status quo. When they don't understand those things, when, they, when they're looking at current situations without understanding the, uh, you know, the sort of historical framing of a, of a community, it makes it very difficult for them to understand and thus relate to realities of communities, but also uh, help their, their students understand uh, why things are as they are and uh, to sort of provide a level of complexity, to complexify, <laughs> if you will, uh, the realities of what's happening. So uh, if you don't mind, I'd actually like to, to sort of go off script for a second and, and ask a question that, that came to mind as you were talking. Uh, and when you when you bring up topics like like gentrification and, and white flight and sort of that, that history of a lot of our uh, urban communities, uh, I, I'm thinking of a conversation I had a few months back in which we were talking about, about similar topics and the person I was talking with said, well, so much of so many teachers are, are so liberal that that so many educators ha- have such a liberal agenda. And and in saying that made it seem like those things like gentrification um, or racial injustice are in in some ways political realities as opposed to historical realities uh, are you able to talk to to just that that issue at all or or what would you say if someone said well you know th- those are liberal issues as opposed to historical issues well the first thing i would say is that in general i believe teachers have good intentions you know i i just like I've, I've never met a teacher, a family member, or community, or a parent who say, I don't value education, or I don't want my child to succeed in education, or I've never met a family member who say, I don't, say I don't care about my child. In a very similar way, I've never met a parent, I've never, never met a, a teacher who say, uh, I don't care about my black and brown children. I don't care about my children with a learning difference, or I don't care about my children who live with a problem. So I think, I do believe most, if not all, teachers have good intentions. And because, and I think it's linked very, uh, very closely to what I was talking about earlier in terms of identity space and our belief systems and our ways of being, our paradigm, our ways of being and being the world. Teaching and learning, you know, it's, it's political work. So it, it, is, it is very difficult and impossible, and I'd argue we shouldn't even try to just divorce ourselves from our political uh, sort of orientation and views. I don't think we should 
my vote, you know, for a political candidate, for right. in terms of how we might position ourselves as, uh, 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 you know, on, on the left or right side of the aisle. That's one way to think about politics. Another way of thinking about politics really is about the ways in which we, we situate and we practice particular moves to get what we need in order to be able to get our work done. And so I think that in all professions, people are people are dealing with and they're politicking and they're they're grappling with political uh, you know views and how those political views might might manifest. I, I think that if, if one of one of the challenges we have in education in general, writ large is that uh, we we allow we have, we as teachers have allowed these sort of external factors, these neoliberal agendas, to advance uh, causes that we know is is inconsistent with what makes sense and what we should be doing in uh, in education to, uh, to to work towards freedom, to work towards to counter all kinds of isms and discrimination uh, and so forth. So I think teachers, I think in fact teachers need to be more vocal about uh, things we care about, things that we know are in the best interest of, of students, uh, to push back against political rhetoric that is antithetical, that is inconsistent with what we know is good science, what we know is good practice for uh, students, especially students who are most grossly one thing that I, I've really appreciated, and I'd just like to say at, at this point, that throughout this whole interview, you seem to have a, a pretty consistent message of all of this is complex, and as as educators, we just need to lean into the complexity, both in ourselves and in our students and in our schools and communities. Uh, and I, I really appreciate that message because I think oftentimes we try to oversimplify things. I, I absolutely believe that the the answers are really in the complexity. You know, the, the real deep answers that are sustainable, that disrupt systems systems of oppression and and uh, schooling over education and racism and sexism and homophobia, xenophobia. All these the answers are in the nuance. And if this were easy, John. You know, we would really be in a place, Jonathan, of, uh, of you, you know, you would not even, you would not need to be having this conversation with me. This is very, very difficult work. And when we think about people who are not familiar with education, uh, you know, making decisions about education, that's where it gets even more uh, uh, dangerous. About our new secretary of education. I mean, I think that we've got to be very careful about who we uh, elect, select, and appoint to uh, make decisions for those. 
I, as I was reading through the beginning of your book, it, it was really clear that uh, part, so part of your argument is that schools are often, and, and unfortunately teachers, we often become promoters of the status quo when we're not consciously engaging in in the the biases and the histories that our our communities and our schools come with and that that was a new idea for me uh, so I, I appreciate your talking uh, more on that if I may uh, switch gears uh, to our final question here I was recently in a situation this is kind of a, a, a nitty-gritty teaching situation um, of having two students of color in a class that was otherwise white, and I'm a white teacher. And when we would discuss explicitly issues of race and racial injustice, I became very aware and, uh, dare I even say, self-conscious about these students feeling singled out both by me and by their peers. Uh, and I don't think I'm alone in struggling with that type of situation. Uh, what guidance might you give a teacher in such a situation in that day-to-day -day classroom instruction? Well, the first thing I would say is that, uh, in general, teaching is so much about relationship building. You know, instructional practices, the, the best advice I can give to teachers who are really hoping to improve their, their teaching, and this is... Uh, really regardless of, uh, of teaching context, regardless of one's social context. It is it's really, you know, the, the, the core of what makes instructional practices culturally relevant from my perspective, culturally uh, responsive and what uh, some of my colleagues are now calling culturally sustained is this notion of relationship, right? So, so what, what I would say Especially when, when we're trying to engage what some would argue is inconsequential to the real curriculum, uh, you know, related to race, is that we, that you develop, establish, and really maintain a deep level of relationship with your students. Uh, you know, students understand that you're, you are a real person. Uh, that when students believe uh, that you have their best interest at heart, that you care about them, that you understand that they're not robots, uh, that they're working through challenging situations, uh, and uh, those are really, I think, uh, the sort of uh, precursor to being able to engage with tough stuff. And I would say one of the tough areas, uh, of course, is race. And so I think building those relationships is key. And building those relationships with the with both the community and family, I think, is essential, especially when you're working with younger uh, children uh, trying to engage uh, issues of race. I think that's very, very important. I think as, as the, the older students get, developing those relationships with them, so and they understand there is absolutely some professional distance, but there's also this level of of understanding the understanding of the humanity of who you students are is really, I think, key to being able to engage 
slavery, uh, you know, and the like. But I'm also talking about, you know, the fact that race is such a, uh, an integral part of our, our identity space in general, that when we don't, we just require an opportunity to uh, And helping teachers understand that, that white is a race. So, you know, uh, many teachers with whom I work, you know, they, they grapple with or they approach the work suggesting that, uh, you know, they, you know, white teachers don't, they have a race. You know, when it, but in essence, white teachers, just like other teachers, should be mindful of, mindful of their racial uh, and ethnic background. And then the other piece I say about students is, you know, we know from good research that with, uh, with, with students of color, with black students, uh, for instance, their racial and ethnic background impacts their sense of racial identity, impacts their their outcomes. So the stronger students feel about their own racial and ethnic identity, not when they hate students outside of their racial and ethnic identity, but they feel strongly about their own racial and ethnic identity. They have a strong sense of their race. They tend to outcome into uh, stronger. So. Uh, that's how I'll respond. You know, uh, we there in this work. There is no neutral. There, there is no neutral work when it comes to race. Where you are either advocating for racial justice or you're advocating against it. And when you and I would argue that if you are not interrogating, engaging race, you are actually against racial justice because there is no there is no neutral space. In, in, in justice and social justice work. You're either advocating for it or you're advocating against it. If you're in this space of neutrality, which is where many teachers talk about their own uh, development or their own positions, so many teachers will say things to me like, oh, you know, I'll, of course I want to be responsive to my students, but I'm only going to uh, bring up race when they bring it up. I'm only going to have a conversation about issues of injustice or inequity when the students bring it up. And, you know, my response to them is that's not justice work. You know, you're, you, you think about the number of times you felt uncomfortable in a classroom. I mean, I can count countless times I felt uncomfortable in a classroom when, uh, you know, black, black people were portrayed. Uh, in a negative light, or when, when there were no black uh, female or male perspectives even considered, you know, in office elections, let's say in a, in a literature class. Uh, so I, I think that, you know, really honing and, and bringing home the point that racial justice work, work related to race and social justice, is work that you have to consciously uh, pursue in the fight for social justice. Dr. Milner, that is a really powerful call to action, and I think that's a great, great closing thought and, and, and closing call to action for for me very much personally and for our listeners as well. I cannot thank you enough for, for taking some time out of your morning, out of your weekend morning nonetheless, to talk with us. Well, I'm honored to do it, and I uh, just applaud you and the work you're doing, and, and all educators across the country, I, I want to be clear here that I am 
Here are the takeaways from this week's episode, and we have a lot this week. One, as an educator, we need to constantly ask ourselves questions like, why am I doing what I'm doing? And why do I believe some groups of students are underprepared in comparison to other groups of students? Two, develop a community of critical colleagues to help each other think through decisions we're making in the classroom. Three, family members and community members are experts of their students' experiences. Four, we as teachers have to value and understand the deep levels of expertise, assets, and strengths that every community possesses. Five, teachers have to know students' lived experiences and understand the history that influences their community. Six, relationships are at the core of what makes instructional practices culturally relevant. Seven, conversations about race are essential to our curriculum because race is essential to our identity. Eight, white is a race and white teachers need to be mindful of our racial and ethnic background. Nine, the stronger students feel about their racial and ethnic identities, the stronger their outcomes. In other words, we must stop thinking that students of color can only succeed in spite of their racial or ethnic identity. 10. There is no neutral work when it comes to race. We are either advocating for racial justice or advocating against it. You can review these takeaways in the show notes of the episode. You can also find Dr. Milner's new book, Racing to Class, on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. You can find his other books there as well. I highly recommend his first book, Start Where You Are, But Don't Stay There. It's both enlightening and practical, and it's very much informed how I build relationships with students in the classroom. There are Amazon links to both in the resources section of the show notes, just below the takeaways, if you're interested in adding to your pedagogical library. Also in the resources section of the show notes are two links to blogs that Dr. Milner has written, one of them entitled Understanding Diversity, What's a Parent to Do?, and 10 Teacher Recommendations in Facilitating Conversations About Race in the Classroom. Both of them are practical instructional posts that could inform your instruction. You can follow Dr. Milner on Twitter at MilnerHRich and see what he's getting up to and, and hear his thoughts. And a big thank you again to Dr. Milner. And finally, whether you are listening now or coming back to us after being on the beach, Thank you so much for listening. I hope you were challenged and inspired. Until the next episode, rest up and be well.